All right, I have an important question for everyone here. When you think about it, and you can close your eyes if that's helpful to you, who is the person or people that has the greatest, has had the greatest influence on who you are today? Who is the person or people that has, the, has had the greatest influence on, on who you are today? I imagine that what flies into our minds are a collective of family, parents, teachers, bosses, coworkers. There's somebody who came to mind for everyone in this room because influence is such an incredibly powerful tool that we both wield, right? We influence others, but we also are influenced by them. Now, influence is a term, is a word that has been co-opted by culture right now. Uh, if you're an influencer, it probably means that you have, you know, thousands or maybe even millions of followers on some type of social media platform for which you get paid to have influence over, on a brand or by a brand on, on a group of people that are your followers. But I would say that there is a more universal truth to this idea of influence that impacts everyone in this room. Every person, every person in this room, every person watching online, that influence is a powerful thing in our lives. You know, there's another word that has been uh, co-opted by this generation. It's, it's the word cloud. You know, when I hear the word cloud, I think of a meteorological term that indicates that there may or may not be some moisture in our future, something that we can look, la- look at in the sky. But over this last generation, the cloud has, meant, has become to mean something maybe even more uh, ethereal, more, uh, bigger than, than even that. Um, and it is this idea That there is a place, maybe not a place, maybe several places, maybe I don't even know exactly how it works, where things live when we can't keep them any longer on these little handheld, little, you know, flat screen televisions that we hold in our pocket, right? And so would we have this, like, if you have one like mine, it's, it's the iCloud is that it is attached to, and, and all those things that you have, the apps and your status and, and how many, you know, how many levels of the game that you're playing is all stored, not on this device, but in the cloud, right? It's kind of like the cloud. It's, it's somewhere out there. We don't know exactly how it works, but it makes it all backed up. Now, if... If, if you're like me and, and you take lots of pictures and maybe you have some videos of, of your kids doing cute things or your grad kids doing cute things or, or your friends being weird and you've got all of that stored on here, there comes a point where this thing cannot hold all of the data that you need stored on there. And so instead of thinking, oh, it's time for a new one of these, so that I can hold more, because I'm getting that notification that pops up every time I try and use my phone. You just take a little more stock in what is kept online, right? And so not everything lives anymore on the device that you carry around, the camera, the, the, the phone that, that you carry uh, around with you, but it lives in this place that's called the cloud. And it's amazing, because it almost makes it seem as though you have unlimited space to hold the things that you care about, those pictures, those movies, those things. 
But that's not the best thing about what the cloud brings to us from that electronical internet way of thinking about it. You see, the very best thing has to do with something that I ran across just this last week. I was walking my dog, me and my son were walking back to our house, and uh, my neighbor, uh, a really close family friend, our next door neighbor, comes running over uh, to tell us what had just happened to him. You see, he's packing up for uh, college. He's going to be in his last time at school, and he's packing up all his stuff because it seems like it's probably the last time he's moving out. And to do that, he's using his mom's SUV. And so he, he was telling me about this moment where he had everything loaded in, and he went to shut the tailgate of the SUV, and it didn't shut. It didn't come to a close. And so he pulled it, put it way up, and he gave it everything he had. He just slammed it closed, and it still didn't shut. And it was because his phone was right at the crease of where it was. And he was explaining to me, he's like, it's, it's like an L, his phone. Completely, you know, busted. There's no part of it that was going to work. And he was telling me, and he, he's just, he's got the biggest smile on his face. He's laughing hysterically, you know, because not only did he slam it once, but he wound up and really power slammed it a second time, not knowing it's there. And as I thought about that, I thought, yes, that is absolutely hysterical today. But if you would have just stepped back a few years when everything was irreplaceable and everything would have been lost there, and, and because we had no longer know anyone's phone numbers, I know two phone numbers. I know the phone uh, that I grew, the house that I grew up in, and I know the phone number for uh, our family's business. Those are the only two phone numbers I know. Everything else would have been lost. I would have lost all my contacts. I would have lost all the photos that I had taken of my kids. I would have lost every single thing that was happening. But we could laugh. You know where I'm going with this, right? We could laugh because everything was backed up in the cloud. We could laugh. He's going to take the little SIM card out of, his, uh, out of his busted up phone. He's going to put it in a phone that they had laying around, and he's going to be able to have access to everything. He's not even going to lose the level of Candy Crush that he was on, right? Because he was completely backed up. And I have another important question for you. Wouldn't it be awesome when life seems to kind of slam down on you and maybe do a power slam and you're feeling kind of broken in your personal life or public life, you're feeling hurt, wounded, and at a loss. Wouldn't it be awesome if there was a backup if there was a backup that you could lean on, that could support you, that could help you rebuild what was broken in your life. Wouldn't that be awesome? There's this incredible piece of scripture, and it's out of a book called Hebrews. It's at, towards the end of your Bible. It's the after Jesus part of your Bible, where it talks about cloud in a way that has been transformative in my life. And the words that are there um, out of Hebrews 12 are these. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, 
Let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us. This idea of this incredible cloud. And I love that there is a word that starts this particular piece, that the therefore at the beginning, and it, and, it, and it causes us to ask that very important question when we read God's word, you know, what is the therefore, therefore, right? And so when I see words like that, I like to pull on the thread that those words attach to. And so that therefore is, is in this chapter 12, it, it pulls on the thread that extends into chapter 11. It's kind of this culmination of chapter 11. But that thread, as you pull it further and pull it harder, it extends all the way back to the very beginning of God's word. You see, this particular idea, this particular theme, this particular way of thinking is so central to what's in this book so central to what God's intent for us is, is that it extends all the way back to the very first chapters of the Bible. Those chapters that are the foundation of, of how we understand God and who he is and his love for us. Where it's all developed and the groundwork is all laid, a book of the Bible Called Genesis. And if you start at the very beginning of Genesis, you get these words, in the beginning, right? Because it is literally the very beginning. And so we pull on that and we read this incredible creation account of God. This incredible creation account of God. And the first three days, he's taking from nothing into something, and light, and darkness, and, and all of these creation in these first three days. And then at the end of those three days, there are these words that are recorded. And it says, and he, and he says, God saw that it was good. Those three days of creation, everything formed just this amazing sense of, of what God is doing from nothing to something. And he, God saw it. And it was good. And then we step into that third day. And we see that he creates land and sea and plants and he evaluates. And he sees that it is good. And then on that day four, the sun and the moon. And God sees what it is and it is good, right? And then he creates the animals and mankind. And he sees and he evaluates all those things in creation from day one to day six. He, and he, he evaluates what it is. And, and you kind of get the gist of where this is going, right? God saw what it was and it was good. Yeah, it was good. But the thread that's connecting us to that cloud of witnesses, it comes from the second chapter of Genesis. The way that Genesis is constructed is that second chapter uh, helps build context and reframes what happens on day six, in particular, when humankind, when mankind is created. And so God, in his own image, out of the dust that is there at creation, breathes life into the man that we know as Adam. 
But then he says these words that bring the thread all the way back to this verse from Hebrews. The Lord God said, out of Genesis 2, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. From the very start, everything was good except that man should be alone. It is not good for man to be alone. In the creation from the very beginning before sin, when man was still face to face with God, hardwired into this man, into all of humankind, every woman, every child, written on our soul is a need for each other. Because God never intended for you to face life alone. I know this because it's in the book. It's a thread that I've pulled on. I've pulled it all the way through. It's in the book. But I know it also because it is absolutely 100% true in my own life. On the seventh day, in this creation account, it says that God rested. It's what we call the Sabbath as we, as we try to create some, some rhythm in lives that, that are inspired by who God is. And I take my Sabbath as seriously as I can personally. So my Sabbath happens to fall on a Friday. And when school starts, why Shauna and I were cheering so loud, um, my youngest two will go to school, and my wife will go to work, and I'll be alone for like the only time during the whole course of the week. And I love to catch up, especially on that Friday, with all the things that, that bring rest to my life. Maybe catching up on, on some of the, the Bible reading during, that I've maybe missed during the week and journaling a little and, and spending time in God's presence. But because there is a certain amount of disrhythm in the quiet of what I'm experiencing, in that time, I can hear what God is saying. I can hear his voice because the distractions and the, the things are out of the way. But there is something else that happens in the rhythm of that quiet in my life. It's that when I'm in that quiet and it starts to extend maybe beyond noon and, and I haven't had any contact with any other people, I'll start to talk to my dog got a beautiful little black lab named Olive. I call her little. She's kind of chubby. Uh, my medium-sized black lab called Olive. And I talk to her. And as the day goes longer and I've had less contact with real people, no contact with people, I will start to talk to her in ways that you would almost think that I'm expecting her to talk back to me. What would you like for lunch today? I'm going to have a sandwich. What do you want? And then eventually it'll be about maybe what I'm thinking about and what I'm worried about and what do you think about this? And, you know, to this point, she's not spoken back to me, you know. But it's something that happens when we're in the silence of our minds that we start to almost create something because we're hardwired. We're hardwired to be supported and sustained by the people around us. Now, if you don't 
identify with that story, there's another flip side to this. In our prison system, people who are being punished for crimes, there are times when they need to be even punished further. And the methodology that is often used in those circumstances is something called solitary confinement. Where people are locked away from the general population so they don't cause problems, but also as a punishment to who they are. But as people have done studies on this and have looked into this particular form of punishment, they recognize that the the effects of being alone over an extended period of time have incredibly damaging effects on the people who are in those moments in those places. In fact, they start to lose their minds. They degrade physically, they degrade emotionally, and they degrade spiritually. You see, it's true. It's true when it's funny, and it's talking to your dog, and it's true when it's criminal, and it's causing people to go crazy. And so this book, this this verse, this thread that we're following, it, it continues all the way through because it is so central to the message. It's clear to see in, in this writing of, of this man named Solomon in the book of Proverbs when he writes, the way of a fool seems right to him, but a wise man listens to advice. Or a proverb that is maybe something familiar to, to many of us, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Wisdom from the wise, it is foolish to try and do it on your own. We are made better when we live into that design of God for community. So let's go back to that central verse out of Hebrews that we're talking about. We said that we, it's important to know why the therefore is there, right? What the therefore is there for. And if you extend back into chapter 11... First, it gives you the definition of faith. And then it goes on to tell you the incredible faith of the historical people of God. This letter of Hebrews is written to a people, Jewish people, who would have very much been familiar with the stories of their history, which is what is contained here. Stories of incredible faith and people like Moses and Noah and and just walking you through all of these saints that have come before. All the way up to today and the people who were instrumental in in carrying this message of Jesus even to to those first followers. So therefore... Because of all the people that have laid the groundwork before, because of the faith of everyone that has invested in you, the people who have invested in you, therefore, you can run the race with perseverance, the race that God has set out before you. Wow. That's powerful. We need, we need each other. We need each other. God has marked out a course for us. And in order to get there, we need each other. You know, sometimes we do a disservice in the Christian faith when it seems like we say that if you believe, if you have faith, that, the, that life gets easier from 
from that point going forward. But Jesus made sure that we knew that that was not the case. In the book of John, the account of Jesus' life that was, that was um, compiled by this man named John, he records Jesus as saying these words in John 16. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Did you catch that? Right in the center of those verses? In this world you will have trouble. Jesus promised his disciples in this passage, in us through his word, that we will face trial, that there are struggles, that not one of us will be spared. But there is purpose and hope and peace, and those things are found in him. And those things are backed up in community. Life is hard. But we are designed to need each other. Again, looking for wisdom from the wisest. That's what, that's what this book promises, is that Solomon, that, that author of the book of Proverbs that we talked about, that he was the wisest man of all time, that he had God-given wisdom that extended beyond anyone else's. And he wrote these words in another book of the Bible called Ecclesiastes. He wrote these words, two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man... Not the fool, but the man who falls and has no one to help him up. Also, when we lie down together, we will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can, be, can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. This wisdom out of the book of Ecclesiastes is often used in weddings. I do it uh, we do, but it's not written specifically for a married couple. This wisdom is written to express the needs that we have for each other. Two is better than one, and three is seemingly unbreakable. What would happen if we were to raise the value of community to a standard that approaches God's intentions? Because this need for each other is so countercultural. You know, our culture says that, that independence and self-reliance and, and the ability to do it on our own is what's valued. It's what God teaches through his word is counter to that. It is so important, so important that we go to the source, to God's word, so that we can know that we are to live a life in support of each other. And so if Community is a value that allows us to live deeper into the life that God calls us to, to run the race that he sets out before us and run that race with perseverance and endurance. Then what does it mean for you and for me to find the community that inspires, that encourages, that loves us through the next season of that life that God promises is going to be challenging. And for that, I want to invite you into three practices. First one is maybe one that should ground all of our practices, and that is prayer. Jesus, throughout his ministry, took time away for prayer. And when we pray, 
we have opportunity to be in communication with the God who loves us and desires for us the best for us. And so we start in prayer, asking God to lead us into this next thing that is the community for the next season of our lives. The second thing that we do is we see who's close. See, one of the things that that I've learned is that when we pray for things, oftentimes those things are already working in our lives by God's grace and his mercy. So who who is it that is around you, that is close to you, that is already doing some of those things that build life into you? And the third thing that I would ask or that I would contend is critical to finding your people is to find purpose in common. You see, in that central verse that we've been looking at out of the book of Hebrews, the race marked out for us, it's the purpose that God draws us into, that God draws us forward into. And so that purpose when we find other people who share in that same purpose, same place that God's drawing them to, there's even a deeper connection as we go there together. And so we start with prayer. We look at the people around us first. And we seek after the common purpose of those people. And so with that, I want to invite you into that process together. As we close in prayer today, I want to invite you into that process together as we pray, as we look, and as we find. Would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you that you are a God that loves us so critically that you make us in such a way that we can seek after and we can find the support system, the people, and the love that can sustain us in this life. And so, Lord, as we, as we seek your voice and direction, lead us to people who will be those people for us in the next season of our life. Direct us to them. Allow them to stand out. Give us boldness where we would naturally maybe shy away. And raise those people up on our behalf. And Lord, we ask too that you would, that you would make it evident who it is that you're raising up for us. And that as we are being raised up for others, that we would see the way that you're working that unique relationship into us. Lord, lead us in that way. And Lord, finally, we ask that you would call us to your purpose. That as we gather these people, as we find these people in our lives, that you would draw us into the purpose that you call us to with perseverance. And that as we walk that out, each step just as challenging as the last, that we would know, that that we would know 
that you are working through them in the same way that you're working through me and through us to support, encourage, and love the people around us. And so draw us into community. Lead us into community. And we pray this knowing that, that your love, Jesus, is so true and so clear that even if we were to run away, that you would pursue us. And so, Lord, find us and make us yours. We pray all these things in Jesus' name and all God's saints said together, amen. I want to ask you to please stand as we close today. We've been reminded of the value that God places on community today. And so I encourage everyone who leaves this space, everyone who is watching online, to walk in this way. And so receive this blessing and this reminder to walk where God calls us to go. So if you want to receive that, if you want to extend your hands out. May the Lord guide your steps. May he lead you into relationship. May he strengthen you through his spirit so that you might be the encourager, the person who gives his love. And may you walk out from this place boldly knowing that you are loved and you are made to love. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Have an amazing, amazing week.